2: Hello and welcome to Movember Radio. I'm Osha Ginsberg. Thanks so much for being here. This is a weekly podcast focusing on men's health and the issues that men face today. Each week, we speak with someone from the Movember community, a community that has over 5 million MoBros and Mo Sisters worldwide. And the people in this community are passionate about changing the face of men's health. So to make sure you never miss an episode... Subscribe to the show on iTunes, the podcast app of your choice, and also at Movemberadio.com. Today, my guest is the legendary NHL enforcer, George Paros. For nine seasons, this six foot five powerhouse dominated the ice. Going on to win the Stanley Cup with the Anaheim Ducks in 2007, George is famous for two things. Being a beast on the ice, he has had 158 in season fights and won pretty much all of them, Uh, but he was also famous for doing all of that with a fantastic moustache. But George isn't all muscle. He holds an economics degree from Princeton, and he even negotiated on behalf of the Players Association in the 2012 NHL lockout. As an athlete at the top of his game, George knows only too well the importance of taking care of your health and mental well-being, from exercise to teammates. He shares with us some things that have worked for him. George is a passionate supporter of Movember, so we called him up to talk to the man behind the mo. George, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being here. How are you today?
0: I'm uh, excellent, thank you. In good spirits and uh, doing well. well that's How good to you. Oh,
2: mate, I'm, I'm brilliant. I'm, I'm always happy to talk to you. I'm especially happy to talk to a sportsman who wears facial hair p- because, I'm, I mean, I've, I'm of the opinion that sport is just better with moustaches.
0: Hey, you're preaching to the choir, my man.
2: Why is sport better with moustaches, George?
0: Uh, sport is better with moustaches. Uh, you know, sport, at the end of the day, people don't like to hear it, but it's an entertainment industry, and moustache is certainly entertaining, so <laughs> maybe that feeds into it. <laughs> your
2: moustache was so famous that your old team, the Anaheim Ducks, even sold fake replicas is that right
0: yeah I, I showed up with the mustache in anaheim my first year there and it caught on like wildfire we happened to win the cup that year so it was a good year for that as well and snoop dog wore it and uh and it just took on a, a life and character of its own so we started to sell mustaches in the team store with uh, proceeds benefiting uh local charities there over in orange county
2: that, that's amazing. Mate, you've recently oh. retired from the NHL. Tommy Lee, the drummer for Motley Crue, once joked about writing a book called What Do You Do When You Come Back From a World Tour? How are you adjusting to civilian life?
0: Uh, I'm still dipping my toes in the water. It's uh, you know, it's something you, you're, you know is coming all the time, but you're never quite prepared for. So I'm laying low in Las Vegas and trying to figure out my next moves.
2: Not many people hear <laughs> those words in the same sentence. I'm laying low in Las Vegas.
0: Uh, yeah. I know, that's true. That's true. Well, you know, when you become a local, then you, you try to avoid the strip and all the distractions there.
2: To talk about sport for a moment, there's not many places where men get to channel their aggression quite like they do as in a hockey game. Do you remember the first hockey fight you ever saw?
0: Hmm, the first one I ever saw. That's interesting. Not one really stands out in my mind. Uh, Growing up, you know, we weren't allowed to fight uh, in in the United States. You couldn't fight until you turned pro. In Canada, you could fight a little bit sooner in juniors, but I never really fighting was never on my radar. I just always wanted to be a player, obviously, and so I I didn't really idolize those guys and wasn't looking for it. But you know, certainly remember the first one I was in, but the first one I saw. I don't. Yeah, (laughs) thank God.
2: So, if you never really fought when you were. Playing hockey as a kid, what did your parents say with the first time they saw you fight on the ice?
0: It's kind of like uh, you know, I, I played hockey all growing up, and then I turned pro, and all of a sudden I'm fighting left and right. And I think uh, I think it was a bit of a shock, but uh, for them, uh, and certainly they question as to what's going on, like why the sudden change, but. I started to fight because I knew it would get me onto an NHL roster a lot quicker. So it was the path of uh, least resistance to the NHL, and I took it.
2: It must have been pretty interesting. You're, a, you're, not, a, you're not a small man, George. How old were you when you were 6'5?
0: I had a, a decent growth spurt in, in high school. I probably started uh, freshman year at like six foot or so. By the time I graduated, I was about 6'4. So I hit 6'5 uh, my year of junior hockey after high school. So 18, 19.
2: What was it like growing up being the tall guy at school?
0: I was never the tallest, but um you know certainly by high school I, I became taller and lankier, and uh I don't know you stand out uh at some some respects and there's always someone taller, so it was never uh, like I was a freak of the classroom or anything like that, so didn't garner too much attention at the time
2: was school okay for you
0: it was i uh I love school i uh I excelled in all through high school and uh I actually ended up going to Princeton pretty good college around here and playing hockey there and and going to school and and uh, was a challenge and always always will be being a student athlete, but met the challenge well as, in college. And I always enjoyed the uh, the academic side of life, so never really bothered me to to do the two both at the same time. That
2: that sounds like that's fairly intense to comprehend. You went on to study economics at princeton which is essentially the university equivalent of getting into the nhl
0: (laughs) it was it was a lot more challenging than i thought it'd be actually i I figured you know economics uh business uh finance that that whole world and it kind of interested me but uh having to go back i think it would probably have been better served uh taking an easier major maybe history or english or something like that It, it was fun and i have no regrets but uh certainly was a challenge
2: first year of university is intense for anyone how did you cope with the pressure of performing not only academically but also on your college hockey team
0: um, i feel like i was pretty well prepared i went to a decent high school uh, in new jersey it was pretty academic as well and was writing papers that were just as long in high school as if not longer than they were in college so i feel like it wasn't too overwhelming certainly the hockey aspect of things ramped up a notch because now you're competing where scouts are watching you and there's a potential to maybe make a career out of it afterwards so that was uh, always in the back of your mind even though we didn't have the best team ever all four years at princeton there. but certainly uh you know the future starts to come more into focus when you're at college
2: You played in the NHL for nine years, and even though professional players do move about from season to season, how important would you say that the bond between teammates is when it comes to a team's success?
0: I think it's extremely important. I mean, you can have uh, you can have a lot of talent in lockers, but if no one gets along or buys into a certain system the way that they would on a team that's gelling and uh, has uh, personalities that are are meshing, then you're going to have problems if you don't have that. So I've been on. Teams that have been very, very talented and didn't have much success because guys weren't buying into each other in the system and, and all that other stuff. So I think it's uh, really important to have uh, good character guys, good skill, but everyone kind of buying into the team concept.
2: The relationship that you have, though, must have continued off the ice. How were you there for each other when, say, for example, one of your teammates was going through some hardship, like a, a divorce or something like that?
0: There's a transient property of being a professional athlete. So, you know, you can get traded one day, be living in a different country, different state, wherever, uh, the next. But um, it's it's the same for all of us. So we, we, we tend to stick together and, and rally around guys that are going through some hard times. So uh, I think in hockey there's a good brotherhood and uh, a good amount of respect amongst teammates to be there for each other and support each other. And how does that support look? How does it manifest? I think that uh, – it manifests through hard work and and things like that got, got us to where we're uh, at that current day. You know, you start in training camp and you start to uh, all get on the same schedule and, and work hard towards the goal, towards winning a championship. And through that, you you form bonds and you you have a like mind and like goal. So uh, that's kind of where uh, it all it all begins. Like guys guys rallying around the same the same common goal and thread and it kind of unites everyone's. Uh, Expectations, hopes, and uh, creates those bonds and relationships amongst teammates.
2: Your role on the ice was the enforcer. That means you're the player that brought swift justice to any opponents that roughed up your teammates. Was it just a job, or were you emotionally invested in protecting your mates?
0: It's actually more emotional than it was a job. I mean, I, I never felt like uh, oh, I had to go do it. It was something where you know I knew that what I was doing was was for a reason. I you know that. If I didn't do what I was out there to do, then I would uh, you know, potentially be putting one of my own teammates in harm's way. If I, didn't, if I wasn't as good at my job as, as I should have been, then maybe my guys would have been taken advantage of a little bit more. So the better I did my job, then the more uh, room and opportunity I, uh, they had to do theirs. If someone was taking advantage of my team, it was definitely personal for me, and, and um, I protected them like brothers and felt like that was you know, part of my role.
2: And did that emotional connection continue off the ice?
0: Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's hard to separate off and on the ice when, when you're with the team and going through an intense season. We had a lot of games, 82 games uh, in a regular season and all the travel and stuff. So uh, yeah, you know, I, I was closely knit and attached to the guys on the team because you certainly become uh, you know, more attached and close to the guys uh, as the season goes on.
2: What about when you're out and about? Did did guys want to pick out the fastest gunslinger in town? Was it was it a bit weird? Did blokes ever want to have a go?
0: No. Uh, well, actually, when you travel to Canada and people know know you a little bit more, and, uh, <laughs> and you know you get out there, and then then yeah, everyone kind of has more of an idea of what's going on, and, and you might you might get challenged in that way. But I, I never really fought off the ice. It was in the, no good ever came of, of fighting off the ice, as far as I was concerned. Uh, you know. I could try and be a hero and, and uh and act like I was the toughest guy in the bar or something like that, but you know, at the end of the day if I break my hand off the ice and that doesn't do my teammates any good. So we run into stuff like that, but uh I never I never really bought into any of it and would always make sure that, you know, we didn't get into any prickly situations off of the ice but i certainly wouldn't cause or create any
2: you were as you mentioned you you mentioned the the amount of games you have to play you were a part of the 2007 anaheim ducks that won the stanley cup the highest accolade in in hockey it's a championship that's decided over a, a physically brutal schedule of best of seven games what kind of mindset comes over you when you're in such a prolonged physically and mentally taxing campaign
0: well, you, you know, you got your eyes on the prize. Everyone's uh, everyone's kind of being put to the test, as it were. You know, you, you battle through a long season. It's a war of attrition, and uh, you have a seven-game playoff series uh, and four of them to get through. So, physicality uh, certainly comes into play. And if you're a big physical team and can endure those bumps and bruises, then uh, you're usually the better off for it. That team we had in 2007, we were uh, we were big and tough and mean, and we rolled through rolled through the league pretty good that year. So, uh, I think it certainly helped us and helped. It was the way that we like to play and it worked for us that year.
2: When it comes to health, what did you learn from your time in professional sports about men and their relationship with their health?
0: Well, certainly uh, you have to take care of the body and and for us, uh, the body is an instrument for our well-being and the more you take care of it and the better you do so, then the more success you're going to have. So I think that uh, your health and well-being are certainly tied in with each other as far as... uh, your means of employment is concerned in the hockey world. I've seen guys uh, that don't take such great care of themselves, and sometimes they falter and fade away because uh, they can't handle the, the brutality of the game. And then you look at other guys who have had great success, like a Tim Solani or a Scott Niedermayer, who aren't, like, the biggest, strongest guys around, but they're always taking care of themselves, stretching, eating the right things, working out, uh, taking care of their bodies, and, you know, they had 20-year careers. So it speaks for itself in, in the hockey world.
2: Be honest, George. When you do venture towards the flashy part of Las Vegas, and you look around and you see other men your age that perhaps didn't follow the same diet and exercise regime, what are your thoughts?
0: Uh, I, I don't really know where you're going with this, but the first thing I think of when when I think of the people down in, in, in downtown Las Vegas are these three foot long frozen margarita like troughs that everyone seems to drink out of when they come here, <laughs> and I think that uh, that best physical.
1: Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.
0: Describes not keeping yourself in the, the best of shape. They uh, they slug these huge these huge coffers around with just tons of booze and sugar in them, and I can't imagine how or why anyone comes to Vegas and all of a sudden decides they have to drink a bunch of these. <laughs>
2: I guess I'm talking more about inside the professional sports that you played. Obviously, there's a lot of education about nutrition, about sleep, about recovery, about supporting each other. You know, what what about men who perhaps haven't been exposed to that? What would your message be for them?
0: You know, you only got the one body, so you take care of it, right? Uh, The better you take care of it, the longer you're going to – more miles you're going to get out of it. So even having retired, you know, working out a little bit less and not as uh, intensely – you know you feel more sluggish even and so i've I've learned that even though i didn't really like to work out a ton like i used to while playing because it was so hard on the body i feel that i'm still in the gym you know four days a week just because it, it gets the uh gets the joints oiled up and i think it helps the mindset as well so uh it's tough especially if you're behind the eight ball as far as being physically fit's concerned but Every little bit helps and you start with baby steps and go from there. So you build up a regimen and a routine and, you know, slowly get to your goals is fine for, for the average person, I think, if they want to get started because it can be a bit tough and daunting to try and get into the best shape super quick. It's not gonna happen overnight. So just gotta stay with it and develop that routine. I think it's the biggest thing. We always had routines in hockey. Getting ready for a game on game day or practicing practice days and everything else, so uh routine is kinda of, gets you there and drives you there because
2: when when you've got a routine and it becomes a habit it, it's not really a conscious choice it's just oh mondays of the day i do this and it's a bit easy to do right
0: yeah exactly you kind of uh, you take your decision making out of it becomes easier and easier so i think i've heard or read that it takes like uh, what a month or month and a half to develop a routine so you get through that beginning part and you know i think that uh that's the best way for anybody to handle it really is You'd fight through for a little bit, but then once you get that routine going, then then you're going to really start to see results, and you're going to buy into what you're doing.
2: You're an uh, an ex-renowned tough guy on the ice. Your body's taken some pretty serious hits over your season, over the seasons that you played, mate. When you get in and out of the car early in the morning, do you inadvertently make weird noises? <laughs>
0: i 'm not there yet, uh, thank God, but uh you know there's there's some soreness and stiffness that still uh that still shows its head every once in a while and I had three surgeries this past summer, so we we're, we're still on the mend a little bit, but i'm trying to avoid making any weird noises for a while
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh so you were kind of waiting for the the career to end and you get taken care of a few uh a few tendons here and there, yeah,
0: you? yeah, you always put off certain things or uh, eventually the body wears down to the point where you uh, make some changes so uh fix a few things on the old body
2: (laughs) what happens when you uh when you put off decisions like that when you try and ignore things that are are going wrong with your body
0: well you have to be smart about it i mean i think everyone does to some some certain degree but if it's starting to affect your performance and you have to you, you gotta listen to your body so um you know, you do the right thing, and uh, it never led me astray. You know, if uh, if I felt that something was going to put me in greater harm, then I'd get it fixed. And if I could get through it and still perform at a top level, then I would. So it's kind of case by case basis, I imagine.
2: There's not many people that get to spend so long with so many, not only physically but but mentally focused men. What did you learn from your time in professional sports about the relationship between men and their and their headspace and their mental
0: health? Man, I've seen I've seen the whole gamut on that. You know, I've seen guys that are mental midgets and uh, guys who are uh, completely focused and know exactly what they're doing. Like uh, the mind, the mindset of an athlete is uh, certainly an interesting thing to study and see. And you know, I think that the the best thing I learned throughout the course of my career was just to uh, kind of ride the the peaks and valleys and, and keep focus on the main goal or whatever. Because Some guys get all pent out of shape if, you know, they don't have a shot in a game or a goal here or whatever. And to stay mentally focused and on top of your game is probably one of the harder things for an athlete to do. So some people uh, caved under that pressure and some people thrived on it.
2: And when when guys were were caving under that pressure, you rallied around them?
0: Yeah, I mean, you always want to do whatever you can to uh, help a guy out. But, you know, sometimes if uh, you're going through a... A scoring slump or something you got everyone in the world coming up to you telling you it's gonna be okay it's probably not a good thing either so you kind of just play it by ear and and, uh you know someone's slipping you always want to help out and try and do what you can but at the same time you give them their space too and try and figure out whatever's best to get that guy back on track you're gonna do
2: you talk about the the peaks and the valleys it's not every season that you're going to win the stanley cup um how do you how do you prepare for you know like What happens after you win the Stanley Cup? I mean, that's, that's, you know, that moment lasts for a while, but then it's gone. You got to get back to work, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, of course, like you said, there's, there's, you think about it, and there's only one happy team at the end of uh, every season out of 30. So, but when you, when you are lucky enough to win that thing, then uh, there's a bit of a, a sigh of relief and you get to enjoy yourself for a while and uh it's one of the greatest rides you could go on it's uh it's a fun summer and at the same time you gotta make sure that you're uh taking care of yourself for the next season but it's certainly something you want to relish for a little bit
2: you're known fantastically as the minister of mustachery what <laughs> what's your personal connection to movember
0: movember and myself kind of just found each other <laughs> i think it was uh it was destined to happen cause, uh, I I didn't really have any bouts with men's cancer health issues per se, nor did my family members immediately, thank God, knock on wood, but I've always had a charitable uh, side to the way I've approached uh, my life and the way I've approached my professional career, and uh, growing the mustache kind of put me in, in 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 the circle of the Movember Brotherhood, and we kind of found each other, like I said, as it were, and it was a match made in heaven, I mean, I uh, certainly enjoyed throwing my support towards a great cause and raising awareness for the men's health issues.
2: And you're uh, you're quite a quite the Movember team captain, aren't you?
0: I've had a good career for sure. Uh, you know, I wasn't never wore the C on my jersey, but uh, certainly certainly spearheaded a lot of great successful Movember campaigns. We uh, raised a ton of awareness down in Anaheim and money when I was in Anaheim and. Was the team captain there for many years and uh, did a lot of great things, from creating T-shirts, uh, selling T-shirts in the team store, getting guys on the team to grow, doing shaves on TV for uh, major publications, uh, selling the mustaches, uh, doing all sorts of fun stuff. And then when I went to Montreal, we uh, captained that team as well. We we were the highest fundraising team in the NHL that year as well. I think I did. I think we were the highest team for a few years in Anaheim too when I was there. And then we went to Montreal. We uh, we took over that spot as well. And, and you know, there's a great. Side sense of pride for me you know to captain those teams and just kind of help spearhead that awareness and i think it's something that the guys always enjoy doing because maybe i was so passionate about it but who doesn't love to grow a mustache and do something good with it at the same time
2: i think the biggest challenge a lot of men face during november is convincing the person that they're going to be making out with that the mustache is going to be there for a few weeks how (laughs) is that how's your significant other with your mustache
0: i I feel sorry for her because uh, we met years ago my first year and after my first year in the the league and I was completely clean shaven I didn't wear the mustache that year we met right before I started growing out in fact a week before I started to grow it out so I reeled her in having no mustache and then for the last you know nine ten years she's had to deal with the mustache so she's been a trooper about it
2: (laughs) (laughs) it sounds like your your move to Vegas was you know a very much a, a family decision is that would that be right
0: yeah definitely we I didn't know if I was going to be playing the season, uh, if I was going to have a job uh, anywhere around the world. I didn't really know what I was going to be doing. So since I moved from our home in California uh, a couple of years previous, I started to play in Florida and Montreal. and move around a bit, so we just started renting. Uh, so we were just renting in California at the time, and uh, you don't get a lot of money, a whole lot for your money in California. The market's uh, kind of crazy around there sometimes. So we figured we'd... Uh, stay transient, go to Vegas, settle down here for a little bit until we figure out what we're going to do uh, in the next chapter of our lives.
2: Mate, I'm really grateful that we had your your time today. When we finish these uh, conversations, we, we tend to end with the same questions because uh, it's nice to hear a perspective from different MoBros and MoSisters around the world. I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this question. What style of moustache would you grow in November?
0: I, I always keep it simple. I like just the straight, flat uh, you know, push broom style mustache. I just respect the uh, straight, flat across uh, kind of plain Jane mustache because I think it's uh, you know right up Burt Ronald's era and, and not too much flair to it. You're just kind of growing the mustache for the mustache itself, not for all the the flair behind it. <laughs> do you feel
2: people change perspective of you when you're clean shaven?
0: Oh yeah, I mean when I when I when I'm clean shaven and I I would do it every every November, so there was always that month for the month of November. You know, start out for the first couple of weeks without a stash. And I always joked around that uh, that's when guys tried to fight me the most because, uh, you know, you lose a little bit of uh, that intimidation factor and a little respect. So, you know, I'd have a bunch of challengers in November want to fight me because I didn't have the stash and I grew up back and then I all started backing off.
2: <laughs> Are you saying that men with mustaches demand respect, George?
0: That's, a, that's 100% what I'm saying.
2: <laughs> so, the second question is what piece of advice do you wish that your father had passed down?
0: I got to tell you, I mean, I don't expect anybody to know my father, but he's full of advice, and uh, usually it's great advice. So I can't fault him for not passing down anything, really. <laughs> he's done a he's done a great job, but he didn't turn me onto the mustache, so maybe I should fault him for not giving me advice sooner in life on the mustache.
2: <laughs> then what? So what piece of advice did he give you that you uh, you use every day?
0: That's a good one. I don't know. I, I think the thing I've taken most from my father is just a, a work ethic, which has kind of gotten me where I was today. So. Whether or not it's one one line or sentence that he said about that is more watching him, what he did day in, day out. uh, He really instilled a tremendous work ethic in me, so I I credit him for that.
2: What what is it that you appreciate most in your friends, George?
0: I'd say uh, I appreciate most just uh, honesty and communication, really. I mean, uh, I find that when you you don't communicate, especially uh, not hot on text, but an actual conversation face-to-face or over the phone, uh, you can get through a lot of issues or problems or whatever it is. And there's something lost in today's world with all the uh, text messages and emails and things like that that uh, a good old-fashioned conversation can't handle. So I appreciate that the most, I think, in a friend.
2: It's only two more touches on your smartphone to dial someone's phone number, right? It's
0: probably quicker to talk anyway. Oh my god, so much, so much quicker sometimes.
2: What's your uh, what's your favorite way to stay physically active?
0: Pretty much anything that gets me out of the gym. I, I really I hate going to the gym, and I said I'm a big proponent of staying in shape. <laughs> so I'm forced there sometimes. Like I said, because I do feel better when I work out. But uh, if I can do an activity that's going to keep me in shape and, and not be inside on a elliptical machine or something, I'm all for it. I think mostly it's uh, beach volleyball. Great for the mind, body, and spirit. I think. Mate, you're six five. You'd be you'd be quite yeah, the opponent. Absolutely. Well, you know you got to do your good at right. <laughs> <laughs>
2: All right, so last question, George. If, if we were, you know, standing around in a cigar bar wearing blazers and you've got the George Paris crest on your left breast pocket, what does the motto underneath it say?
0: Uh, respect the stash. <laughs> Absolutely. That's exactly what it says. In fact, I might have that jacket hanging already. I like to wear a cigar bar, though. That's, that's right up my alley. Uh, you know, we'll, have to, we'll have to have one sometime.
2: I don't smoke, I don't drink, but cigars uh, are my thing.
0: Oh, perfect. Well, there
2: you go. George, it's an absolute pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you so much for joining us on November Radio, mate.
0: Oh, I should appreciate it, bud.
2: And that was George Paros. You can find him on Twitter at George Paros, G-E-O-R-G-E-P-A-R-R-O-S. Let them know that you heard him here on the show. That's it for us. If you like what you heard, just rate and comment on the show in iTunes. Tell them, mate, if you think that they dig this show, show them how to download it on their phone and let them listen. You can also follow Movember on Facebook, Twitter, all other places online, and, of course, get anything that you need over at movemberradio.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Look after yourself, and we'll talk to you next time.